movies by minutes. Project number five. It's Silverado this time. That's no jive. By Lawrence Kasdan, who wrote the show. Best settled up now, kids, cause here we go. Well, howdy, and welcome back to another episode of the Silverado Minute Podcast, where each week, Movies by Minutes hosts have been examining the 1985 Lawrence Kasdan-directed Western Silverado, one minute of the movie at a time. I'm your host, I'm Alan Sanders, I'm still running solo, and that's okay, my buddy Walt's still in the honeymoon suite, he thinks he might be able to sneak out for the last couple of episodes this week, but right now it's yours truly with you, hope you've been enjoying the last couple of episodes, we had the huge climax earlier in the week as our main characters finally had to come head to head, Payton and Cobb, they squared off, had the shootout, and where we last left is things were sounding good, people looked upbeat, They had processed the weight of the situation of what had just happened, and now we can finally breathe that fresh air of freedom and liberty. Stella enjoying a pour of the good stuff with our heroes, all four of them now sharing a drink and a toast as we now move into minute number 128. The music continues, and now we cut to outside as uh, a wagon is being drawn into town by two horses. As the wagon draws nearer, we realize that it is a young boy who is uh, behind the reins. There is a woman wearing a bandage around her head. And as it comes into town, we see a man in the back seat with a sling, his left arm in a sling. And we realize that's Emmett and Jake's family. They are all alive. They may be a little worse for wear. The Their nephew, Augie, has been uh, rescued. He's safe. He's the one who has to drive the wagon. His dad, JT, in the back seat, still recovering from his injuries. And his mom, Kate, in the front, also recovering from her injuries. Something I want to take a moment. I didn't do this in the first episode this week because I already spent so much time talking about the movie. I didn't really go into all of the actors who are coming up this week and my thoughts on each of these actors. So I'm going to take a moment now before we continue going into this minute 128 with the our heroes leaving the bar and going outside, seeing this wagon coming into town and seeing Jake and Emmett's family. I want to go through the actors that we've been seeing this week and all the actors that we will see as we wrap up this week. I'm not going to go into all of them, obviously. I'm only going to go into the ones that are part of the minutes that wrap up the movie. Obviously, we got to start off with Scott Glenn. For me, Scott Glenn is an amazing actor. I have loved everything I've ever seen Scott Glenn do. Even if the movie isn't up to snuff, he owns every role, every character. And when he's on screen, he pretty much is mopping the floor with whoever's on the screen with him. At the very least... They're equals, but he is so good. He is so commanding. He just becomes the character, embodies the emotion, the feel, the swagger, the the delivery. He is so good in this movie. I love every second of watching anything Scott Glenn does as the character of Emmett. Just spot on. And surprisingly, as I've grown older and understood that uh, comedy is every bit as hard to do as drama... I think I told you earlier this week, I initially thought Kevin Kline, the comic actor, oh, he's going to bring a comedic role to this. He is not a comic actor in this. He's a very serious actor. And it is a disservice to assume that he's playing somehow a less tough or kind of the the schmuck or the shtick or the sidekick. 
He's very much the main character. It's an ensemble piece, obviously. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of story threads. But when it comes down to it, as far as the duel is concerned, he's the main character. He's the crux that runs up against Cobb and becomes uh, and and the and the two become foils to each other. Kevin Klein is masterful as Payton. Similar to my discussion of Linda Hunt, similar to Scott Glenn, Kevin Klein is a brilliant actor. He can do so much with a pause, with a look, just holding and 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 not being afraid to say nothing. Not overacting, not over-embellishing, just feeling and conveying and does it in such a strong and visceral way. We don't need an explanation. We feel it. He does such a good job. He is a great character in this. Never imagined him as a gunslinger or in a Western. And then seeing him in this role, it just feels like a natural fit. Everything he does feels exactly as we, as should be expected. So those two actors, hands down, Awesome. They go in the same category as I mentioned earlier this week with Linda Hunt. Just brilliant actors. Now, we have some other good actors, but may not be their best roles. Kevin Costner as Jake, it could be the fault of the script. And maybe it's his youth. Maybe it's his exuberism. Maybe it's because he was a hot, rising, young Hollywood hunk. And so he was relying on a, a, on a look and a smile and a he doesn't really give a good performance. He gives an okay performance. It's not horrible. It's not bad. But he feels very two-dimensional. There's not a lot of depth to Jake. Once again, could be the writing. I think part of it is just Kevin Costner had yet to grow into who Kevin Costner will eventually be as your today actor. I think he is a very good actor. I think he's got a lot of very good films behind him. I know he took stretches. He took risks. There's some things that are just eh, not so good. Nobody's perfect. No one's career is perfect. But I think at this point, we're seeing a, a less experienced, a less talented Costner who got by on antics, good looks, and the fact that he was having fun. Similarly, Danny Glover, who's a good actor. I've never thought he was a great actor, even in Lethal Weapon. I've always thought he was a competent, well-crafted actor, but he never really stood out. I never thought, wow, look at that performance. Wow, look at that. Never, and same here, I never, I, even the emotional moment, losing his dad, uh, arguing with his sister, uh, never really felt that Danny Glover was in the character. I always felt like I was watching Danny Glover act the character. You could sense, oh, I should be distraught here. Oh, I'm supposed to be happy here. Oh, I'm supposed to be suspicious here. It's you can sense the acting rather than it coming from a real place like we did with Kevin Klein, Scott Glenn, and uh, and Linda Hunt. I almost sense you can sense the acting. And once again, it's not bad. It's not bad acting. And, and if you're not a skilled actor yourself, if you're not a director, if you're not in film, if you've not done any of this, I've done a lot of stage, I've done a lot of plays, I've done television, I've done film. I tend to watch performances. I love directing and I, I tend to watch... You guys can agree, disagree with me, and that's totally fine. I'm giving you my perspective. That's my minute. Um, I mentioned earlier Brian Dennehy and about the music and about how this character that Brian Dennehy plays is almost like your grandfather. I want to I take a moment and tell you just how good Brian Dennehy is as the villain in this because if you didn't know that often Brian Dennehy in the 80s ended up being relegated to the bad guy, to the heavy. If you just saw this for the first time, 
I don't know, you might have sensed that there was something with him, but his likability comes across so strongly. His smile, the twinkle in his eye, the way he carries himself, his confidence, his laugh. You just want to like him. It's so hard to think of him as the bad guy. You want so much to like this guy, to like what he's doing, and to be on his side. And I think that's why the music wasn't heroic when he eventually falls. You feel it's a tragedy. Not only could he have, maybe, what if the dog had affected him like it had affected Peyton? Maybe he would have had that road to Damascus moment and changed his life. It didn't happen for him. He's still a likable guy. He's done horrible things, and obviously he is the villain, but he's not your stereotypical, you know, evil character. He may have perpetrated evil, but he himself comes across as likable. And I think that's something the actor does so, so well. Brian Dennehy, just like the others that I kind of praised, brings that gravitas you need to make that character more than just a flat, two-dimensional bad guy. He is a fleshed-out 3D character, and when he does give you the chilling, when he does show you that he doesn't value human life, it almost feels more shocking because you did like him and you wanted to like him. And you still, at the end, feel like, just change. You don't have to fight Peyton. Say, you won. I'm done. I should have done what you did. I should have... Re-. He, he's, he's stuck. He can't help it. And they end up squaring off and he ends up losing. But Brian Dennehy... God, he is so good in this movie. And he's not in it a whole lot. But when he is, he's just great to watch. Now, those are pretty much your main characters. There are some secondary characters we have to get to. One of them is Hannah, who we'll see coming up in this minute. Hannah, of course, is part of the wagon train heading west. One of those threads of the Western that gets woven into this story of Silverado. We get all these different tropes of the Western, and one of them is the bunch of people who just want their own land. They want a new start. They want to, to farm, or they want to settle, or whatever. And they're on that wagon train, and they get taken advantage of. And one of the subplots is they lose their money, and then eventually she loses her husband. And Kevin Klein's character seems to have a thing for her, but then she seems to have a thing for Emmett. And it's really strange, and that's a, a plot hole I want to get to when, it, when that moment comes up. But I feel like Rosanna Arquette, in fact, actually outside of Linda Hunt, all the women in this movie, maybe with the exception of Ray, played by Lynn Whitfield, I feel like the female characters are not quite as strong as they could be. Linda Hunt isn't in this very long. She makes a lot of the little screen time she gets, and she does a very good job. I think Rosanna Arquette is relegated to a character who just is there to help make something else happen. She doesn't do anything for herself. Nothing really is important around her. You don't really feel sympathy when her husband dies. You really want, for some reason, they even make a joke about it. The body's not even cold, and here comes, you know, Peyton wanting to, like, hang out with her. It it all felt a little weird. It all felt a little forced. None of the female characterization of Hannah came through other than, uh, she needs to exist as a subplot and to motivate something later. It has nothing to do about her. And I felt that same way about Amanda Weiss playing Phoebe, who is one of the, I guess, saloon girls, one of the girls who works in the saloon, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, know what I mean, Uh, working along with Ray. Um, You know, she seems to also be there as mainly a means of 
putting Jake at odds with one of Cobb's men, once again finding himself in a position where the kiss of a girl could send him to jail. In fact, even Payton says, that's what happened in the last town, remember? Amanda Weiss falls into that sort of flat, two-dimensional character. We really don't get a whole lot out of her. It's not her fault. I don't want anyone to think I'm saying Rosanna Arquette or Amanda Weiss did a bad job. I'm saying their characters, as written, there wasn't a whole lot to work with. On the flip side, I did say that as a secondary character, there was at least a little bit more to Lynn Whitfield, who plays Ray, Mal's sister. Ray is a great addition to the cast, once again, showing that there were black Americans in the West and showing that while her dad and her mom came out and fought adversity and they were trying to, to, to farm their own land and try to survive and their son had left them, she had decided, you know what, I'm not a farmer, I'm not an agrarian, and I don't care if my life takes me on a different path. I get to wear dresses. I get to be around people. I get to be paid. I get to have fun. I get to do what I want to with my life. And she's accepted. She's not some secondary trash character. She's thought of as highly as any of the other ladies who work at the saloon. And I love that. I love the fact that even though some may feel it's an illicit profession, we sense that she is an equal. She's doing what she wants on her own terms, and she is doing what she likes. And I think because of that, and because of the tension when Danny Glover shows up and says, Daddy's dead, and you see that, con- you feel that inner family struggle of her wanting to grieve and wanting to maybe even forgive her brother for abandoning them, there's some emotional depth. So that character, and I think that story arc is a little bit stronger. And because of that, she stands out. So when she is shot and wounded, you feel for it and you feel pain for her and you hope that she pulls through. So in some, re- in some respects, as a female character, hers is not as flat. I think there is a more fleshed out backstory, and I think she adds more. It's not just about uh, a showpiece to help push her brother. It ends up being a, a pretty important character and, and a pivotal moment to some of the events that lead to the end of the movie. So in that respect, uh, there's a shout out to those actors. The final actors that we, and I will get back now to the minute, the ones riding in the wagon Augie, played by Tom. I think he goes by Thomas now, but Tom Brown. Uh, You've got Kate, played by Patricia Gall, and JT, played by Earl Hindman. Uh, Once again, those characters, I did feel they were a little bit wedged into the story to once again provide a mechanism for the plot to move along. You know, we find out that we, we learn obviously later that uh, Emmett is the older brother to Jake and you find out Jake's in jail. Jake's going to be hanged. So they have to break him out because he says, I can't bring him to family. I can't go visit uh, relatives and not have my brother in tow. So I guess they have to now introduce us to the relatives. And there's the scene. They're at the house. They're talking, talking about where they're going to move. New start, California. And we get introduced to the kid, and I guess in some ways they do provide something of a plot device, but you never really learn who they are. Even the kid, when we have a couple of extra moments, it just, much like Hannah's character, the kidnapping of the kid, the burning of their house, it serves really as two things. It serves as Peyton getting the wake-up call that no matter what, no matter how much Cobb may try to use Stella against him, no matter how much he still thinks that Cobb is a stronger character and that he's going to have to just bow down to his former boss, 
he's seen the turning point. You know, you're, you've burned down an innocent family's house. You've hurt, and you've and you've kidnapped a kid, a kid that has absolutely nothing to do with what's going on. You said you were going to stay out of the way, but you resort to this. It motivates Payton to have to eventually lead to where we were this week to the standoff. And of course, it acts as, acts as a motivator to Jake and Emmett, who are now going to have to do something in town to help take Cobb's army out. And of course, with that, uh, with Ray being shot also by folks around Cobb, that motivates Mal. So all four of our heroes that we were introduced slowly across the beginning of the movie, they are now all motivated to actually do something about Cobb and his men. Not a fault of the individuals or the actors, it just as a plot device, they served only to motivate the actors to the final act. So let's get to the final few minutes here. We're in the midst of minute 128. Let's get back to just outside the saloon. Our four characters are leaving after a toast. We see the wagon pulling in. We see that it is Augie driving with his mom next to him on the sideboard and his dad in the back seat. She's got a bandage around her head looking Rambo-esque. He's got a sling around his left arm, not able to hold the reins, which is why Augie's driving. And we immediately then cut back to the porch just outside the swinging doors of the saloon. And we have, as they exit the building, you've got Emmett and Mal shaking hands and eventually walking to the edge of the, uh, the boardwalk there on the side that uh, you walk on to avoid the dust and dirt and the mud that would form on the grounds. And he's got his arm around his back. And as they're walking off to the uh, screen left, to camera left, we have a, a, a moment here where uh, Mal says, Take care of yourself, you hear? You too. He says, take care of yourself, you hear? And Emmett responds, you too. Now, as the camera is sliding away from, it's pivoting away from the doors and kind of turning on the, on the tripod. It's sort of swiveling around to show that Mal is uh, getting ready to, to jump on top of his own wagon. And we see what looks to be a fully recovered and modestly dressed May sitting up there waiting for her brother. We get the sense that there's some resolution between the two, the two of them. We just heard they're, you know, to California. They're probably going to settle, go out there and try to start over as a family, brother and sister. She seems well. He's getting on the, uh, getting ready to sit down, grabbing the reins of the horses. I want you to note something. If you are a a movies by minutes kind of frame by frame goer, or if you go back and rewatch the movie, as the camera has slowly pulled around, pivoted on the head, and then slowly dollied behind them to show us a little bit more of the background in behind these main actors. We see Jake, who's uh, putting his arm on looking at uh, Phoebe. He's uh, right behind Emmett. But way in the background, nearly out of focus because of the depth of field, there's a woman just standing there, just staring from the edge of the screen. That's Rosanna Arquette, the actress. Just, okay, got to wait for my... I'm going to stand here. I'm going to wait for the director to say, and action, <laughs> to come into the frame. She's not talking to anybody. She's not motivated by anything. She's just sitting in the background, just staring, watching the scene unfold. And will eventually come up, but just keep in mind, she's in the background. And also, we've got Jake and Phoebe to still talk about. So while the main action is on Mal getting up into... The, uh, to the wagon, grabbing the reins and grabbing a seat. As he turns around, he then issues a goodbye. But instead of saying goodbye, he just acknowledges him by name because he's already shaken hands with Emmett. He says, Jake, Peyton, 
Jake, Hayden, and you get the sense that uh, Jake has sort of like nodded, and Payton, of course, we get a shot of him, and Payton sort of just smiles, like realizing that he's been acknowledged as he's getting ready to go by. He nods his head. The camera now swings and pivots around to give us a front shot of Jake and Phoebe. Kevin Costner puts his left arm around uh, Amanda Weiss's neck. He leaves his fist almost kind of closed or over her shoulder and using almost his elbow pulls her into a kiss to which she is uh, happily responding. He smiles as they kiss and do a deep embrace. And then we cut to a behind the scenes shot of Scott Glenn of Emmett waving goodbye. We hear bye, bye. Phoebe has said goodbye, by the way. Uh, obviously, her former uh, workmate at the saloon. So establishing again that the two of them are parting ways, that they were friends and they knew each other. And then there's the reverse shot where uh, Danny Glover is sort of more waving behind his back, but we don't see him. Uh, Ray has turned around, is looking back at us. And you hear bye, bye. And Emmett is waving his right hand. We immediately cut back around to the front shot. We get the reverse. Now the camera is looking directly as Scott Glenn continues to watch the wagon pull away. And directly behind him is Hannah. Hannah is now suddenly just over his right shoulder as we're looking at the frame. She's come up from her mark to get ready to to deliver her lines. What's interesting, where's Jake and Phoebe? Where'd they go? I mean, they were just kissing a second ago up against the post. Now there's nothing there. <laughs> Boy, I guess these two were hot and ready to get go upstairs and grab a room. <laughs> I don't know. But they certainly are nowhere to be found. They're not in the background. They're not walking away. They're not off screen left. They're not off screen right. It makes no sense that they've just disappeared. You probably never even noticed it. Go back and watch. Right around second 45, we see Scott Glenn is still staring off, not aware that anyone's coming up behind him, staring at Mal and Ray, saying his goodbyes. Here's Hannah coming up from behind. No Jake, no Phoebe, nada. So let's get to the lines here. This is where I want to talk about what I feel like is a little bit of a plot hole or something that I don't quite understand. She comes up over his right shoulder. We hear her start to talk, and then she ducks behind him, comes around to his left shoulder, and then we have a nice little two-shot of the two of them having this conversation. Aren't you going to come out and say goodbye? I already did that. You know where I'll be? Yeah. Her line is, weren't you going to come out to say goodbye? He says, I already did that. They just kind of look at each other, and he's not giving her the same kind of warm that I think she was hoping for. Because we get then an over-his-shoulder shot looking at her as she delivers her next line, where she says, you know where I'll be. As if, you know, if you change your mind, I got all this land. I'm a widow. Maybe you could be compelled to stay, or if you swing back through these parts... Now, what's confusing to me is how did that happen? At what point did she have something for Emmett? Did I miss something when I watched this movie as many times as I've seen it now, especially with my rewatch? We know Kevin Klein's character, Peyton, has a thing for her. We know he stayed behind with her. It seemed obvious she was aware he was staying behind for her. Does she not like Peyton? Is, she, is he a distant second? Does she prefer Emmett? 
is this a love triangle that I missed? Was there a scene cut out somewhere? Where's the the sudden attraction she has for him? Peyton has an attraction for her, and Emmett, who might want to reciprocate, recognizes. Well, come on, Peyton's a dude. Peyton's my bud. I'm not gonna. I'm not about to uh, dude block my buddy. We've been through a lot together. As much as you might be, you know, pretty and all, and and it'd be fun to think about. Um, I'm gonna be faithful to my buddy over here. It's it's a little strange. If I've missed something, if I've missed some real obvious clue in the movie, you know. Let me know. Social media. I'll tell you at the end how you can let us know. But hey, reach out. I would love to know your thoughts because it felt weird. The whole forced relationship thing felt weird. The husband getting shot, going to retrieve the money. The only one who gets killed just conveniently happens to be the person. Kevin Klein looked at this woman and goes, well, she's kind of hot. Oh, she's married, but she's still kind of hot. Oh, her husband comes along. Well, what the heck? He can come along. He gets shot and killed. Oh, guess what? She's single now. All of that felt weird to me. I, I didn't like any of that little bit of the subplot. And it felt really weird for me at the end to have this sort of goodbye moment where everyone's got to be either reminded of who was in the movie and where they were and we're all saying goodbye. It just felt a little strange, but got to hand it to Scott Glenn uh, because he looks over at at Peyton and Peyton has this look of like, um, you guys doing this in front of me? Like, I'm a little, I'm a little, I don't know what to make of this. I thought, I thought you realized I kind of had feelings for you, Hannah. Didn't you realize when I hung out after the death of your husband that I'd be here to fill that gap, fill that void? He doesn't look angry. He just looks maybe on the hair side of concern. Like, uh, are you are you doing this in front of me? I mean, what's going on? Am I missing something? Maybe he maybe he's reacting the way I am. Am I missing something? But thankfully, Scott Glenn, at the very last second, we cut back to him. He's obviously going to be walking past her to come say something, hopefully, to Peyton as we wrap up minute number 128. Folks, thank you so much for hanging out with me today, hanging out with the Wilder Ride, half of the Wilder Ride. I am really hoping tomorrow when you come back, you're going to have a brand new voice joining me. I'll have my buddy, Walt. He may be able to slink out of the honeymoon suite and come join us for a couple of minutes, get his thoughts on uh, the movie, as we have just a couple more minutes left to wrap this up. We've got the credits, and uh, and then we're going to be done. We've got one more minute of film, and then the Friday brings you the final closing credits and our final thoughts as we put a put an end to this collaborative Movies by Minutes project. You can find The Wilder Ride by going to thewilderride.com. You can find the podcast wherever you find podcasts by just searching for The Wilder Ride. We also have social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to come hang out and join us in any of those locations and to go back and catch up on some of the shows that we did as part of our podcast. And you can find the Silverado Podcast also on those same outlets like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play. You can visit SilveradoMinute.com. If you want to get involved on Facebook, there is a specific group that was created that you can join called the Midnight Star, the Silverado Minute Listener Saloon. You can also find on Twitter, Silverado Movies by Minutes. That's Silverado MXM. And come back tomorrow for another brand new episode as we get ready to wrap up the Silverado Minute movie. You all have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care.